You are listening to The Conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. This is Catherine Cruz. The State Bureau of Conveyances is where all Hawaii real estate transactions are recorded. It may have halted face-to-face services because of the health crisis, but uh, real estate sales continued online during the stay-at-home restrictions. Last month, a number of Hawaii sellers pulled their properties off the market, and analysts tell us relisting prices are looking more realistic. But something to think about. Are single-family homes looking more attractive, giving issues with physical distancing? We reached out to Mike Sklar, CEO of Collateral Analytics. Uh, it's a Hawaii business which was acquired last month by Black Knight. It's a publicly traded company that provides financial services to mortgage companies and the real estate industry. We wanted to get a handle on real-time sales and possible trends. The Hawaii numbers are down about 35 to 40 percent, which is actually less than what we're seeing in some of the mainland markets, but, but there are quite large differences from area to area. But it seems that we're about, like I said, 35 to 40 percent down here in Hawaii. What is it nationally? Uh, the national is probably about uh, 40 to 45. And then again, uh, we're looking at two things. The sales, which, which um, you know, of course, are lagging to a degree because they're reflecting transactions made a month or two ago. And, and uh, the new listings are probably the most sensitive measure of current real, real estate activity. And, and that's clearly down, like I said, significantly in most markets and similar to these numbers, say about 40%. We did see, particularly a few weeks ago, a big uptick in, in what we call off-market listings, exactly that. People you know, canceling the listing, withdrawing the listing, or letting it expire. And so there was quite a big surge in that, like I say, two to four weeks ago. And that seems to have tapered off. But uh, definitely for people who don't need to sell, this this is not the most opportune time to sell. And so that totally makes sense. And what are we seeing just then as far as other inventory? Uh, well, I think the one um, thing that we've always looked at in recent years, and actually for many years for the Hawaii market, that is going to buffer any meaningful price declines is just this very tight inventory that we've had here really for many years and, and uh, due to a lack of meaningful new construction. But actually, this has been characteristic of the mainland for the past 10 years as well. There really hasn't been uh, much new construction. And as a result, most real estate markets around the country are very tight. And in fact, going into our whole COVID experience, one of the big gripes of realtors, both here and nationally, is a lack of inventory to sell. That, like I say, is not necessarily good for the brokerage industry, but it does help buffer any price declines as opposed to prior cycles when there'd be a lot of unsold inventory that that would be uh, competitive for other home sellers. Now, when we last talked in the fall, we were looking at what impact the new vacation rental bills would have on the market and on sales, let's say luxury homes, uh, which had been used for whole home vacations. Is there anything that you can share about what you've seen? Well, it seems since the fall, uh, I, I don't know, anecdotally, I, I've still seen a bunch of vacation rentals going on, at least in the neighborhood where we live out in Hawaii Kai. So I, I don't know, you know if it's meaningfully changed the, the situation. I, I think the intent of the bill is good, and the question is, is the ability to enforce it. Uh, obviously, since the COVID situation, uh, there's virtually no new tourists coming in, so those that would typically rent these places uh, are non-existent, but I, but I think it's not for a lack of trying for the owners. Actually, reading some stories on some people in the mainland who went out and bought like 10 houses, and they were making a whole bunch of money renting them out, you know, with Airbnb and so on. And, and then, of course, all that's disappeared, and the, these people have gotten themselves in trouble uh, not being able to make the mortgage payments. So uh, I didn't realize it was such a, you know, prevalent thing on the mainland that, that, that people were 
really leveraging up to do this kind of thing. I haven't heard of you know fire sales of these kind of properties. It, it would make sense, you know, intuitively, but I, I just haven't heard about it. But uh, we really haven't watched it that closely. So what else are you seeing oh, with these numbers during these strange times? The sales are down. The new listings are down. The, the market is still functioning, which, uh, uh, you know, as compared to other parts of the economy is... is uh, is, is, is relatively doing relatively well. You know, when you see restaurants and, and, and movie theaters and shopping centers that are down 90% so, or more, uh, down 40% doesn't sound so bad. But nonetheless, obviously, everybody's still taking a big hit here. You know, the sales that are happening, they're, they're, uh, there is a market out there. And if there's, there's good properties and good, good prices, uh, people, uh, you, know, you know, apparently are uh, jumping on them. I've heard of situations where new listings got put on the market and got multiple offers and so again there's a market out there for well-priced and well-located properties even in this you know very difficult environment historically the new listings came on at a typical premium about five percent above recent sale prices so so that's how real estate markets but here and nationally have uh, often function what we've been seeing in the last month is those listing prices being put on the market much closer to recent sale prices so uh, that, that, in our opinion, is a suggestion that prices may come down 5% or something like that in the short to the intermediate term, but that represents or reflects the, the sellers who are coming on the market being much more realistic about what's, what's achievable. Are you hearing anything from the lenders at all? You know, one of my employees was applying for a refi, and one of the lenders called, number one, obviously, to you know, confirm that he's he's employed, but number two, he's going to continue to be employed in the future. And and I think that's where the lenders have gotten skittish, and understandably so. Is uh, you know, with all going on and all the uncertainty, uh, is is that person still going to have a job in the future? And and that's one of the reasons that they've uh, been more cautious and or asking for bigger down payments to have more cushion in case uh, uh, you know that person doesn't make the payments. In in this case, these are definitely credit worthy borrowers. It's just that. The uncertainty of the economy, it's understandably so. The lender says it's that person's still going to have a job to be able to make the payments. So it's not for lack of intent or ability, at least previously. And you've been analyzing the real estate market here now for decades. No one ever thought we'd see something like this happen. What are your thoughts on going forward? Yeah, it's remarkable. You know, I wish I could, <laughs> I could you know, the, the people who do modeling and, uh, you know, I, I do the same uh, you know, what they call econometric modeling, looking at prior relationships of different leading series and, and then trying to forecast the employment and visit arrivals and so on. All this stuff is off the charts. So, so uh, that, I think, is what makes this so incredible and so unique. My new company, uh, Black Knight, came out with a report trying to look at historical precedents and going all the way back to prior world wars, and, and, and then, of course, this uh, 1918 Spanish flu and so on. Those are probably pretty good guides. Granted, the economy and, you know, and all sorts of things are very different, but that's almost what you need to do to get some points of reference in terms of where we are and, and what might happen. And, and I think so much of this is psychological. That's what makes this different than other events, even 9-11 and things like that, uh, or, the, or the financial crisis where, you know, it came back, uh, there, there was a drop and things came back, but... The question is, are, are, how are people going to behave going forward you know, in terms of willing to get on airplanes and, and, and go to shopping malls and so on? And it's all to be determined, in my opinion. So what does Black Knight think? I mean, we have the technology that didn't exist back then. 
in the 1900s, and you folks are looking at real-time data now. So it's a very mixed picture. You know, our business, you know, we actually create automated tools and, and analyze the data and have products to predict values of houses and trends in neighborhoods and so on. And, and so we're busier than ever because the banks and the others involved in the housing and mortgage businesses need this data. So, so it's, uh, there's really bifurcation here in terms of the economy. Uh, who can continue functioning in this world and then who obviously uh, has has issues that uh, you know totally put to a halt so uh, you know we've seen companies like microsoft and google and facebook and they're doing incredibly well you know with people you know needing to be online and needing uh, data centers and technology and so on and, and then at the, the converse of that is uh, hotels and airlines and so on that everything has virtually been ground to zero so so this is all the sorting out process that is what needs to be figured out. To make forecasts now is uh, people can do it. It's just that how much faith one should have in it. And the big question is the consumer confidence, right? Yeah. I mean, some of the, the more micro trends that I've started to see and been you know, hearing about like in real estate, are, are people going to more gravitate to, say, single-family homes now or want to get out of uh, you know, denser cities? So, so some of the things that uh, you know, everybody thought, well, we're, it's important to live in a city, not have to commute, and, and, and have all the amenities nearby, and suddenly a lot of that's being flipped around, and well, maybe I don't want to be in a, in a condo or an apartment building, and maybe I want to have my own swimming pool at my house. I was reading about a Miami broker who, who's been in business many years and saying even, even clients who were living at townhouse complexes and condo complexes, you know, with pools and saying, well, maybe I think I want to have my own pool, <laughs> not a shared pool. So, so some of these started nuances that are popping up, but you know, that could be a, a whole new trend is, uh, are people going to want to get back into, into detached housing again, you know, as, as uh, you know, given all this totally new world that we're in and, and, and what the implications are for it. So that might be a micro trend we see in real estate, for example. But here in Hawaii, where everybody's talking about, or at least on Oahu anyway, rail and, and building affordable housing along the rail route, you know, you've got units that people can actually afford. Yeah. You know, the latest thing I was watching, uh, out New York is now closing the subways from midnight to five in the morning so they could clean the subways every night that they never did before. You know, you've got to figure a way to make these things uh, such that people can feel safe. We've got a lot of smart people out there that will come up with solutions. It's just going to be an education process. The other thing, we're, we're probably in a very low mortgage rate environment, interest rate environment in general, for the, at least the next year or two. So that, that's always a good positive for real estate. I think that, you know, we'll just have to step back and watch this thing evolve. But right now, so far, it's, it's probably doing better than people would have expected, and particularly compared to other sectors of the economy. That was Mike Sklar, CEO of Black Knight Collateral Analytics, talking about the snapshot of the real estate market here in Hawaii and across the country. And it's time now to take a look across the globe. More funding is pledged to fight the coronavirus pandemic. And in one of the hardest hit European countries, millions are back at work for the first time in two months. Here's the BBC with the latest. This is the Coronavirus Global Update. On Monday, the 4th of May, I'm Jackie Leonard. World leaders have pledged billions of dollars to fund research into vaccines and treatments for the coronavirus. Four and a half million Italians have gone to work for the first time since going into a national lockdown two months ago. Japan has extended its state of emergency until the end of the month and the prospect of a haircut, in some places anyway. 
The European Commission has pledged $1 billion to fund research on a coronavirus vaccine. In her opening remarks at a virtual international summit, the EU Commission President Ursula von der Leyen said everyone must chip in to finance what she called a truly global endeavour. I believe the 4th of May 2020 will mark a turning point in our fight against the coronavirus. Because today the world is coming together. Governments from every continent will join hands and team up with global health organizations and other experienced partners. The aim is to secure $8 billion to ramp up work on vaccines, diagnostics and treatments. The online gathering of political and business leaders included King Abdullah of Jordan. The past months dealing with COVID-19 have shown us that we all need each other to survive. The lessons we learn must help us seek a better integration of our world. The United States, China and Russia are not taking part. Four and a half million Italians have gone to work for the first time since Italy imposed an unprecedented national lockdown two months ago. In Milan, the city at the heart of the outbreak, rush hour passengers flocked back to the metro and all wore face masks that are now compulsory on public transport and in shops. Beppe Severnini is a journalist from the Corriere della Sera newspaper based in the Lombardy region, one of the places worst hit in Europe. Today is a new dawn and people are wondering and in uncertainty it brings anxiety. A lot of arguments. I had to settle arguments of different kinds, families and, and relations situation. People can move around more. Many people went back to work. You can go and see your partners and lovers, relatives and something that yesterday we could not do. Now we can do it now. We can do it today. Lockdowns are also being eased in other European countries that were quick to adopt radical measures to halt the spread of coronavirus. Poland's hotels can start letting out their rooms, but the restaurants there remain closed. Coronavirus tests are now available for passengers flying into Vienna. But in Russia, the number of new coronavirus infections has surpassed 10,000 for the second day running. In the UK, the British Health Secretary, Matt Hancock, said the latest figures show that nearly 29,000 people have died up by 288 the day before, and he outlined another phase in tackling the pandemic. The aim of test, track and trace is to hunt down and isolate the virus so it's unable to reproduce. And crucially, test, track and trace allows us to take a more targeted approach to lockdown while still safely containing the disease. The Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe has announced that the country's state of emergency will be extended until the end of the month. Experts said the number of new coronavirus infections was falling, but not by enough to lift the restrictions at the moment. Japan has reported just over 500 deaths. The head of Tanzania's National Health Laboratory has been suspended after the president, John Magufuli, questioned the credibility of tests used in the country. Will Ross reports. Whilst a committee investigates the National Health Laboratory, it's clear that President John Magafuli must have had concerns about the lab for some time. On Sunday, he revealed that he'd arranged for various samples to be sent there. They were labelled with people's names and ages, but were in fact taken from fruit, animals and even engine oil. In recent days, we've examined the economic impact of taking nations out of lockdown. One of the smaller but no less important signs of life returning to normal is getting one's hair cut. Spain has allowed small businesses like hairdressers to see customers who've booked appointments, a service now also available across Germany. From Berlin, Damien McGuinness reports. 
Today, after six weeks of an increasingly hairy lockdown, people in Germany will be rushing to the hairdressers. Appointments are booked out for weeks. But it's not going to be the usual salon experience. The hairdresser and the customer will both have to wear masks. And to minimise the risk of infection, you can forget the coffee or flicking through a magazine while under the dryer. According to one poll, a quarter of Germans say they have some worries about infection, but they will get their hair cut anyway. Damien McGuinness in Germany. This is the Coronavirus Global Update. This is The Conversation on statewide, member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. Just ahead, your backyard quiz. For today's Backyard Quiz, we look at the life of one Carlos Appiani Long. He was born on March 4, 1874, to Charles Long, an Italian immigrant from Milan, and Julia Nooho, a native Hawaiian from Maui, and a relative of historian Samuel Kamikau. When his father passed away, his mother married John Colburn, who became a cabinet member for Queen Liliuokalani just before the overthrow. In Honolulu, Long studied at the St. Louis School and at Punahou School, where he played football. He later went to Santa Clara University, began studying law at Stanford, but finished his law studies at Georgetown University. While in D.C., he played football and was named All-Southern in 1899. It's the equivalent of being an All-American. The University of Virginia Athletics Director said of him, the position at center is easily filled because Long of Georgetown in snapping the ball, blocking, breaking through, tackling, and general play stands without a near rival. After graduating, he was admitted to the bar in the D.C. area but later returned home to the islands, which by then had been annexed to the United States. He passed the bar here in 1901, and he would go on to enter politics, first with the Home Rule Party, then with the Republican Party. Our question today, in what Oahu neighborhood can you find Carlos Long Street? Call 941-3689 or 877-941-3689. If you think you know the answer, the first one to get it right gets our reusable tote bag that tells people you got it right. Support for the Backyard Quiz comes from Locations, whose Realtors and staff proudly support HPR's commitment to sharing stories of Hawaii's people and places. Locations, welcome home.
You know, since we were talking real estate this morning, we also reached out to Judy Sobin, principal broker of Rome Firm. She's also the government affairs and former CEO of the Honolulu Board of Realtors. She, like other realtors, was hoping for a return to the in-person open house this past weekend, but things were still not back to normal. She said the Honolulu Board of Realtors clarified Friday afternoon that it was still virtual tours and tours by appointment only. The big change for me is that I'm, you know, doing more advertising because people are calling. People want to come in and see a property. So what was it like this weekend? It was it was quiet. Uh, we had we had two people come in, actually come in to look at the property by appointment. I don't know how many people were actually watching or participating in the virtual, but we did have we did have two questions on the virtual, so I know there were some people out there. And you had listed a, a townhome? Yes, yes. Uh, 340 H Kauai High Street in Hawaii, part of the Kauai High Crescent West Complex. So what are you hearing and seeing out there in the marketplace? I am seeing people that want and need housing for various reasons. Some of these are people some of these are first-time buyers, and they see an opportunity now with interest rates fairly low, and they are capable of financing, and they have jobs, and they want to they want to move forward. So there's that group, and then there's the group that already owns a property, but they need to either expand or to decrease their living space. Mostly, it's to expand now because people are seeing that they need more room, especially with our possibly new way of living inside more often. Oftentimes it's families combining. So it's parents, elderly parents moving in generally with the, with the children and sometimes the other way, children moving in with the, with the parents. So combining households, expanding Ohana, and, uh, and that's what's happening. So while the inventory may have contracted a bit with some property owners maybe taking their units uh, off the market, the demand hasn't gone away. Correct. And many of those people who have taken their units off the market, some, some for you know reasons because of the, the virus that they were, were more susceptible, they didn't want people walking through their homes, you can't blame them at all. And some just because they didn't see much happening in the market. So some of those people are coming back on um, the market now. And uh, if you call some of them who have withdrawn their properties, they, they actually do still want to sell. They're just being cautious about it. So, yes, I think, I think inventory is going to come back you know, fairly quickly, at least for people who are feeling um, safe, that, they, uh, that there are enough precautions taken that they will not contract this terrible virus. What do you think is going to happen to housing in Hawaii? Before the pandemic, before the virus, things were, everything was selling, but things were selling not at, at the prices that people were trying to get. So we were already seeing a flattening of the market to some degree in terms of price. Not in terms of volume, but in terms of price. And so I think when properties come back on market, that they will come back at a more reasonable expectation that, you know, they will not be so far above that high we had in 2006, which we were way, we were way above before this pandemic hit already. I think we're going to be, I think we're going to be plateauing a bit and that sellers should not expect to be increasing their value from what it was before the pandemic and maybe a little bit back further. Now, Mike Sklarz seemed to think that uh, maybe buyers across the country were going to rethink condos versus townhomes versus single-family homes just because of this distancing thing. Yeah. What do you think? I think it's, it's not so much condos or single-families. I think it's city and suburbs. 
a condo in uh, Hawaii Kai or Kailua is a lot different than a condo in Kakako because you still generally have a lot of space around it. Um, you know, there's some acreage to walk around on where you're not going to see other people necessarily, that type of thing. So I do think there is going to be some resistance living in areas that are more congested. And so I think that people will tend to be moving more toward the suburbs. I think there was a little movement, not as much in Hawaii as in other places like California, New York, and et cetera, where people were getting back into the city. Everybody wanted to be able to walk places and, you know, have their have their local market right there, et cetera, et cetera, and not have to use the car. I thought it was a great goal, but I think that's that will change, that people will be back in their cars a bit. There'll be less walking around in a congested area and more of the suburbs. So this weekend, some folks were thinking when they heard about the relaxation of the restrictions mm-hmm. that you were going to be able to do physical right. open houses open again. House. Yeah. My, my concept was... It would be sort of like going to Safeway, where you're only allowed to have a certain number of people in at a time, and the other people would wait outside in an orderly way, separate from each other, etc., and that you would have sort of a typical open house, except that only two people with the agent would be in at any one time. So you were ready with your signs. I was ready. I was ready with my signs, and I think people were ready, you know, to go out. They're used to that already. They're used to wearing their masks. They're used to waiting in line. Look how long we wait in line at Costco sometimes or wherever. And we're outside and it's, and it's you know, it can be pleasant. You know, either outdoors and, you know, that's what we do. That's what I thought would happen. And that's what we were gearing up for. And that's what I would like to see happen because I think we're used to that. And it's and it's comforting. It's, it's a makes people feel good to be out and and they're they're seeing feeling and touching a property that um, might help them make a decision about what they want to do and and get additional information um, about how it's done and about the differences uh, between properties so I, I think we're doing we do a better service to people if we figured out a way to do this safely, and I think we can do that. One of my really good friends in Pasadena, California, he had just been to an open house across the street from his home. I know people are doing it. They've figured out a way to do it. They've figured it out how to do how to do it safely. And I think of all places that could do it, we could do it. And in Hawaii, the open house has become, you know, extremely popular. It's, it's a Sunday event, put it that way for so, people. So there was some confusion about whether you were going to be able to have a physical open house this weekend, but the Board of Realtors clarified, not quite yet, not so fast. That's right, okay. exactly. It's a good market now for, for people because... If people, unfortunately, there's people with no jobs, and it's not a good market for them. And I'm happy that nobody's getting tossed out of their properties or anything like that. But for people who have jobs, it will that will help stimulate the economy too. It's consumer spending. <laughs> That's what we want, and we want it in a positive way. That that is helping our local people. It's going back into the community. Right. Did you have any properties closed during this time? I did. I had one closed during this time. That was Judy Sobin, former Government Affairs Director and CEO of the Honolulu Board of Realtors. She's the principal of her own firm, Judy Sobin Brokerage Services.
Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from the Scheidler College of Business at UH Manoa. Monthly online info sessions are available for the Distance EMBA and Master of HR. Scheidler.hawaii.edu slash events. Here in Hawaii, there's a special appreciation for things that are local. And we take that seriously at HPR, where 30% of the programs you hear are made in-house by our own team. Everything from morning cafe to the conversation, bridging the gap to evening jazz. Whether you're a news junkie or a music lover, HPR's local programming keeps you rooted in our shared island community. Learn more about our shows at hawaiipublicradio.org. Honolulu Civil Beats Reality Check takes a closer look at who CEO Alan Oshima is tapping as we recover from this health and economic crisis. Editor Chad Blair is with us this morning. Hi there. Hey, Catherine. Happy Aloha Monday. Yes, happy Monday indeed. <laughs> so it's interesting to see who uh, is going to be able to bend Alan Oshima's ear. Yeah, this is from Stuart Yurton, who covers primarily covers business for us. And Oshima, as we all know, was appointed by Governor David Ige to be our navigator. In yes, the I love the economy. title. <laughs> exactly. Uh, in the um, recovery efforts, the resiliency efforts uh, for the state, um, Oshima, as many people know, uh, an executive for many years with Hawaiian Electric. What's interesting about Oshima's approach, uh, according to Stuart, is there's no structure to it. It's it's essentially a blank slate in terms of how to reopen the economy uh, in that it's not going to be just the usual suspects, if you will, the Bishop's Street crowd, right? Mm -hmm. It's going to be what Oshima describes as an ensemble cast uh, seeking out not just the usual suspects, the people that work for the banks or the, you know, the the the, the major landowners and so forth, but reaching out to a, a lot of folks out there, many of which are already looking at ways to restart their economy and, and take advantage of, if you can think of it this way, somehow turning COVID nineteen into an opportunity to re really re recompose the way the state approaches its economy rather than just relying on tourism. Right. We need innovators. Right. And Stewart does talk to quite a lot of people, and I won't name them all, but they include a Hawaii Strategy Lab that's run by two people that are trying to give the low-income folks a greater voice to generate data, see how they're getting by. Like, here's an example of what they're looking at. How the heck are people paying rent this month? Is there a way we can find out and, and learn from that and share that with others as well? The, I mean, we've been saying forever that we depend way too much on tourism. I think it's only become so much more clear because of the COVID crisis. The reality is, is that we do have the state overall with the highest cost of living. That's driving a lot of people away. And at least half, almost half of all households, households in the state, according to data that Stuart checked with, are paycheck to paycheck. I know. I mean, who would think we'd be arresting newlyweds out there, huh, for violating <laughs> the, the oh, quarantine law? Yeah, there was even, I finally saw their photos. The Department <laughs> of uh, Land and Natural Resources released the photo. They, they, they've been sent packing back to California, is my understanding. You know, some of this stuff is already becoming obvious because of how we had to change the way that we work, meaning under a stay-at-home order. Some of them are just obvious. We need more broadband access, right? Not only for working, but also from learning at home because the schools are still closed. And then here's another obvious one. We need more child care services. Many folks uh, at home trying to raise their kids and also keep working, and that can be a, a, big, a big distraction. But the reality is, is that 
tourism is primarily based on lower wage jobs, and and that is just not going to cut it if we want to uh, prosper. Right, and and we've got to look at other industries, uh, particularly ag, I think, um, and then just rethink like transportation. Right. We've been talking about diversifying agriculture for a long time. And while there have been pockets uh, of growth, uh, it's nowhere near, I mean, think about it, Hawaii and the territory, for that matter, were, were heavily in agricultural production. Of course, that changed with the advent of tourism in the in the 50s and 60s and so forth. But another company, uh, a hui that Stuart mentions, you mentioned agriculture, it includes Mao Organic Farms, working with the Department of Agriculture at the state, working with the Farm Bureau, working with the Farm Union to come up with more ways to, to you know, brainstorm together on how to really make diversifying agriculture reality. I think one of the the points that Stuart in particular stresses is that you know it's going to take the government working with the private sector, working with the the philanthropic philanthropic organizations uh, around the state to pull together. Uh, as Oshima notes, you know we are uh, quite obviously all in this together. Right. And you can't just rely on the same old, same old, you know, the stodgy uh, banking and right. real estate <laughs> folks that, that we have interviewed over the years. Right. A lot of those. Yeah. Things. You've got to get innovators and, and folks. you do people that are trying new things. And by the way, that isn't to say that we need to ignore um, the I, I use the word usual suspects. You, you mentioned the word stodgy. <laughs> Maybe that's the word. But remember, that is going on right now. The the the, the House, the House of Representatives locally led by Scott Psyche. Peter Ho with the Bank of Hawaii. They're meeting as we speak this morning uh, and talking with folks in the visitor industry, people with Matson, you know, the airlines and so forth. Again, the people that you would normally go to. So those conversations are going on. They're also talking with, you know, Alan Oshima and others. And so we're going to get those ideas too. But the main thrust again from Oshima is, you know, don't ignore a lot of fresh new blood that's out there that's been brainstorming and is already on the ground. New startups trying to make things happen now. Right. We need problem solvers, old and new. Yes, we do. Old school and new school. Thanks so much, Chad. Thanks, Catherine. We have been chatting with Chad Blair, politics and opinion editor at Honolulu Civil Beat. To read business reporter Stuart Yurton's story, head to civilbeat.org. Tuesday at 8 p.m., join us on HPR2 for the next Hawaii Symphony Orchestra Best of Rebroadcast. In it, the Oahu Choral Society joins HSO for a celebration of Beethoven's most loved works. That's Tuesday at 8 p.m. on HPR2, your home for classical music. Sponsored by Furniture Plus Design. This is The Conversation on listener-supported Hawaii Public Radio. We now check in with your Monday Stargazer.
Stargazer Time, our weekly look into the massive universe around our tiny and very troubled planet. And as usual, turning to the expertise of Christopher Phillips. We've got him on the line right now. Hey, Christopher, welcome back. What do you have for us this week? Hey, Dave. It's good to be back. So this week, Stargazers, look out for Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn in the south before dawn. Also, don't forget that Venus can be seen in the western evening sky during sunset. The moon this week will be approaching its full phase, and so stargazing for those faint objects is going to prove challenging. How about for that comet we've got coming up? Well, funny you should say that. And also, remember last week, we celebrated the birthday of the Hubble Space Telescope. Well, it just so happens that Hubble has marked its birthday by taking images of this comet. And in fact, the comet is breaking up. Now, this comet is known as Atlas, and it's due to make its close approach to the Earth on May 23rd and may actually be visible to the human eye. And if it breaks up, does that affect the visibility? Almost certainly. And it depends on how much the comet disintegrates. Atlas, like all comets, is primarily composed of ice, and so as it approaches the sun, this ice warms up, sublimates or melts, and the comet loses structural integrity. And in return, it develops a beautiful tail. But in this case, it's breaking up entirely. And it's happening now? Yes. In fact, that's what Hubble has captured in these spectacular new images. And there's a chance we will still be able to see the comet, even if it does break up, if you happen to have a small pair of binoculars or even a telescope hanging around. But in the end, we'll get to see something that Hubble captures. Yeah, absolutely. And what's cool about this is that we can watch this happen right before our eyes, night after night, as the comet whizzes past the Earth on its way to the sun. And you'll give us an update in a few weeks on what to look for. Absolutely, I will. And where in the sky to look? It's Christopher Phillips and another fun stargazer. Thanks. You're welcome, Dave. And I'm Dave Lawrence. You can get Stargazer at hawaiipublicradio.org. Support for Stargazer comes from Haleakala Ranch, with a legacy of livestock, conservation, and land stewardship since 1888, working to restore, maintain, and preserve the open vistas and natural beauty of Maui. More at haleakalaranch.com. In today's Backyard Quiz, we were looking at a native Hawaiian politician who was a college football all-star in the late 1800s. Carlos Long was an all-Southern center when he was studying law at Georgetown University. Upon graduation, he moved back home and became involved in politics. As a Republican, he was elected to the House of Representatives' 4th District and sat in the legislature of the Territory of Hawaii from 1903 to 1905. In the 1903 session, he proposed the Long Municipal Act, which wanted to establish home rule and self-government for the citizens of Honolulu. It passed the House, but was vetoed by Governor Sanford B. Dole. Long would later work as a tax assessor on Kauai until he moved back to Honolulu in 1929, where he became an estate administrator. He died in 1943, and a memorial published in the records of the Supreme Court of Hawaii says... Long was quiet, affable, sincere, and a true friend of the Hawaiian race. He took a keen interest in civic affairs and a personal interest in clean athletics. He was a good citizen, and he leaves a family to whom he was devoted. His name also lives on a street named after him, which can be found in Palolo Valley. And boy, did we get lots of calls on this one. But congratulations to Jill Briggs. You got it first. That's today's quiz. If you have one, send it to talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org.
You know, last Friday we put together an entire show to share with you some acts of aloha that our listeners sent in. We weren't able to get through all of them, so here are a few more that highlight all the good things that are happening during the current corona, uh, coronavirus pandemic. One caller was inspired to pay it forward after benefiting from someone else's generosity. Hi, my name is Yasuko. I live in Honolulu. Um, I'm calling in regards to an act of kindness. And um, someone at our condo left a case of microwavable popcorn in our laundry room. Um, We have a swap table in that room. And our resident manager printed a sign that explained what it was for. And I felt better just knowing that. And that inspired me to give to um, something to the homeless people. And um, I gave this homeless person a box of healthy snacks. And as soon as he looked at the box, he stopped shaking. And I think, um, you know, it, it's, it's about just uh, being focused on the positive. It just makes everybody feel a whole lot better physically, too. So um, I felt better after doing a good deed. Um, so I just wanted to share that with you. And by the way, I want to thank your staff at HPR. You folks are all doing a wonderful job. Thank you so much. Bye. And Mariah on the Big Island sent us this email about some good things happening in Hilo. Meiju Louie from uh, Hawaii Island. I wanted to mention and thank Roland and Ursula Maurer from Kona. They play the oboe and the harpsichord, and they give concerts a lot, um, and for the concerts they take donations. Now they are doing Zoom concerts every Sunday, and instead of uh, getting donations, they're asking people to donate to the food basket, which I think is really wonderful. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Uh, we made a mistake there. Uh, that was an, another caller who had called in. But uh, Mariah on the Big Island sent us this email uh, about some uh, acts of kindness happening in Hilo. Another love letter goes out to Kilauea Creations 2, a newly reopened quilt shop in Monono Marketplace. Aware that quilters and sewing enthusiasts have been making masks for the community, they handed out free elastic last week to anyone who needed it, and I got 10 yards, and am still using it up. And mahalo, Catherine, for seeking out the aloha spirit in our island paradise. And Meg uh, Takahama expressed her gratitude to some generous folks in this email. She writes, Aloha Talk Back. Uh, in this time of great need and uncertainty, the kindness and generosity of friends and strangers have touched me deeply. I've had two projects funded to get materials for a learning at home a bag for my special needs preschoolers. I would like to thank donors who are supporting teachers, donorschoose.org projects. Think GoFundMe for teachers in order to get needed materials in public school classrooms. And here are uh, uh, here's another a message from one of our listeners. Hi, this is Ronald from Maui. I just hope that everybody that's uh, being human and helping each other out during this time, they they still do that when it's not a disaster because we could sure use this aloha all the time. Thank you. And, you know, Friday was also May Day, and a kapuna from a neighbor island took the time to share a new May Day song that she wrote. Aloha. This is Kupuna Ford calling from Kona, Hawaii. I would like to share um, a song which I composed for Midi for the 
for the children and for everyone in Hawaii. I have also written a book that went along with the songs, and it's for the activities at home. It would be endless, endless activities that I, will, I can also share later. But the song goes like this. It's May Day, it's May Day, flowers everywhere, gardenia, orchids. It's May Day, it's May Day, perfume fills the air with gardenia, gardenia, hibiscus, hibiscus. All right. Thank you so much, Kapuna Ford. Want to share something with us? Call our Talkback line at 792-8217 or email us at talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. College student Cole Oxy is back home in the islands after his school closed its doors earlier this year. There's lots of uncertainty going into his senior year. Uh, the political science major at Pace University in New York talks about what it's been like adapting to distance learning. Well, it's, it's been challenging, to be honest, and I'm sure it's challenging for, uh, for all the other students out there as well as the teachers, and it's something that we all have to, to power through. I know um, personally, because of the huge time zone difference, I've been struggling to just maintain a, a proper time schedule for myself. I have classes at 3 a.m. and 4.30 a.m., which makes things a lot more difficult to stay focused, stay on time, and uh, continue to keep things going well. So do you essentially sleep all day here in Hawaii? Yeah, yeah. I'm not... <laughs> I'm not usually up during the day hours. I, just to, in order to maintain my class schedule, I usually have to wake up around 11 p.m. or midnight or so in order to go to those classes because they'll start at 3 a.m. and some don't finish until 11 p.m. and then it's time to go to bed again. So you're like you're living the life of a vampire. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a <laughs> little tough. So how do you adjust to this schedule? I mean, do you feel like you're getting the learning that you normally would be in a classroom situation? I wouldn't say that I'm getting all the learning that I'm uh, getting in a classroom situation. Obviously, uh, you know, the teachers have been um, accommodating to these issues because I'm sure I'm not the only one. There's plenty of uh, international students who are going through the same issue that I am, and they try to be as accommodating as possible. They know if we can't make it, they record the sessions online. But from there, you have to play catch-up, and um, you don't get the opportunity to participate in class discussions and ask questions to the professors in real time, which makes the learning process a little bit harder, at least that I've noticed. And as well with that is we don't have the, um, the services that uh, the uh, university provides for us, like the uh, learning center and the library accessible to us. So that definitely puts us back a little bit. And so what's the plan for next year? Right now, we're actually um, kind of waiting to hear it out. I, I don't know. I've only heard rumors as far as and everything goes. Obviously, New York City has been the hardest hit by this entire COVID-19 pandemic. And that's actually something I've been planning to address too because uh, I have recently been elected um, president of my university's radio station so I'm I'm really trying to figure out in order to plan the budget, in order to plan uh, events for uh, the members of the station, things like that, and to get new freshmen like introduced and interested in the station. I, I, it's, we don't even know if we're going to be doing remote learning next year, so I don't know where I'll even be. Uh, that's kind of been the issue I've been facing <laughs> a lot lately. And then what about a place to stay? No, that's kind of up in the air because I, I did have an apartment on the Lower East Side. Uh, luckily enough, our uh, landlord has given us the option to terminate our lease early since me and my roommate are not staying there anymore. He's back in Jersey. So it really depends on if we're if we're back in um, regular classes. Obviously, as of right now, we're in T1, 
anticipating things to go back to normal. That's just, but I mean, obviously that's hopeful thinking. Are you working? I, I had been working while I was at the university, and um, shout out to our parent company, uh, Ruffalo No. 11, who have continued to pay our wages as this pandemic has continued, and while we're not able to work, I was part of the student call center who would fundraise for uh, scholarships at our school, um, so I, I really have been appreciating that, and we've been doing little side projects to uh, thank our porters, those who um, donate to us and help us fundraise and stuff like that. So we have been doing some stuff like that, even though I haven't been able to work full time. As far as summer goes, I did have an, a job opportunity in Maine at a uh, camp to uh, be a sailing instructor, but I've just received word that camp is uh, no longer going to be acting this summer. So no luck there. <laughs> so everything's up in the air. Uh, yeah, nothing, nothing is for certain anymore. So what are you hearing from your college mates? As far as returning to school, a lot of people are saying that we could have it could be delayed it's possible that we don't come back until november some people are saying that it might be remote classes the entire semester i really have no idea hopefully we're back for the first week of september i don't know how we manage it because i don't think any of us anticipate this thing to miraculously disappear by september you know whether there's testing available at the university whether people have to get their temperature checked when they get in i don't know how that's going to work but hopefully we find a way to be able to come back to school and be effective. What about your friends that you might have that live abroad? My friends have been experiencing a similar situation to me. My buddy uh, Shay actually lives in Dubai right now, and he's had a, a very interesting situation because he, yeah, he came back to Dubai, but his families aren't um, UAE citizens, and the country got locked down. So his family, some of his family is in the States, some of his family is in India, uh, and he is the only one at his home in Dubai and has been, you know, living by himself. And on a similar time difference, I believe there and has been on this wonky sleep schedule. Another vampire in another country. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. Well, yeah, it it's... I just don't know what to say. I, I, I would not want to trade places with you. Um, it is really strange. And uh, I mean, all I can say about it is that each of and every one of us is just doing the best to um, keep going through this. Obviously, it's not ideal, but we have to work with what we've got right now. And the circumstances don't appear to be changing. So it's, it's an adjustment, but um, we do what we can. We've been talking with Hawaii College student uh, Cole Oxy about adjusting to distance learning. He's a political science major at Pace University in New York City. He's anxiously awaiting decision about how classes will resume his senior year. That's it for today. Tomorrow we hear from University of Hawaii President David Lassner about plans for the 2020-2021 academic year. I'm Catherine Cruz. We will be back tomorrow with more of the conversation.